I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Sally Campbell is one of the first people I met when we opened Capital in Brentwood, and I was instantly taken by her sense of humor and refreshing style. I soon learned that she's responsible for some of the most provocative and acclaimed commercials of the past decade. Sally and I had a fascinating conversation about her unlikely professional journey and our shared passion for getting women back to work after maternity leave. Sally Campbell, I'm so excited to see you in Santa Monica. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I think you're amazing, so I'm just honored. Well, I think you're amazing. That's why you're here. And we we met in the store in Brentwood at the Country Mart. Mm -hmm. And I loved your style from the first moment I met you. But also, I love your joy in how you dress, but also in your lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) It's your signature. Has it always been? I don't... I started wearing lipstick, I guess, when I got a bit older. Yeah. So when I was a young thing, I was kind of more into surfing, Uh you know. You're a Kiwi. Yeah. So tell me about that. You grew up in New Zealand. I grew up in New Zealand until I left there when I was about 21. Uh And I was naughty. (laughs) Really naughty. I really feel for my parents. I mean, I think that now I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So it kind of now it all makes sense. Right. But unfortunately at the time there wasn't the um, the resources sure. for dyslexic kids. I mean, this was in the 70s. Yeah. A very yeah. long time ago. So I was a, a rebel, a total rebel. Hated school Hated from day school. one. Left really early when mm-hmm. I was about 15. Um, and what did your parents say about that? Well, they were at their wits end by that point <laughs> because I wasn't going. Yeah. I'd just go to the beach. And um, I think that I just, you know, they just did not know what to do. I mean, I was the type of kid that would go out every night, sneak out my window, you know, end up at parties. My dad would come pick me up. (laughs) And where did you grow up in what city? Wellington. And tell me about growing up there. What was it like? And it's, it's obviously on the coast. Yeah. I mean, because it was the 70s, there wasn't really any health and safety rules or... (laughs) Worrying about your parents. So we I used to go to the beach on my own from about the age of seven. Yeah. Um, with my mates and we'd spend a lot of time in the sea mostly and kind of just cruising around the city. I mean I the the hilarious thing is I've shopped, I've loved fashion and clothing uh-huh. since I was about five. Uh-huh. And at one point, my parents decided I had to be responsible as far as money was concerned. So they'd give me $40 a month spending money. Uh And the day that I got that money, (laughs) I would head to Zambezi, which was my favorite shop from a really young age. And what was Zambezi? It was like a bathing suit shop or clothing? No, Zambezi is like, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's still cool. They're still going. Huh, I mean, really? That's pretty amazing. Right? That's super amazing, yeah. I don't know how long they've been going. It's at least 45 years. Wow. It was a label and it still is in its own right, but then it stocks like 
Vermonts and Comte de Gaulle. Oh, wow. And it's quite, it's quite um, kind of gothic cool. A lot of black. Cool. And so do, do you remember what your first purchase was or do you remember? Yeah, it was, I was funny because <laughs> I was thinking about that last night. And it was a, it, hilariously, it was like made out of, it's, it's kind of sack material hessian. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of made out of sack. <laughs> <laughs> but it was big. Uh-huh. So it was like a ballerina's tutu huh. that made out of hessian. And it who, who made it? Cool. it? It was there. It was there easy, yeah. Cool. But I couldn't afford it, so I had to put it on lay-by. Yes. Which is basically, you don't get it until you've paid it. Right. <laughs> so every... I, every I just, $40 a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd try and hustle money out of my dad. <laughs> pretending <laughs> it was for school books or something, knowing me. I love it. And I understand your mother, you had a very stylish mother... Yeah, my mum's pretty amazing. When I was a kid, she was a professional weaver. Hmm, wow. So she had this beautiful big wooden loom huh. in our loft with Hare Krishna pictures on the wall. <laughs> and um, she'd weave wall hangings and rugs and art, basically. Huh. And it was absolutely beautiful. Oh my God, she sounds really cool. She was a really cool woman. And we lived in this quiet kind of liberal pretty pretty racy neighborhood mm-hmm. and um, my mum was super interested in fashion too but very much has her own kind of it's kind of partly bohemian but then partly structured style uh-huh. and always had a black bob oh really like a perfect black bob oh how funny yeah you're so blonde and yeah famous. I know it's so funny <laughs> yeah well she's Danish yeah uh-huh. so I'm, I'm pretty sure she was dying <laughs> I don't really remember. And then I understand you had a, a a cousin that was very stylish as well. Oh, my God, Terry. Terry. <laughs> Tell me oh. about Terry. So Terry worked at Zambezi. Oh, okay. There you go. You had yeah. the ends. Yeah. <laughs> and I think she's why I wear red lipstick. Oh, uh, really? Because she was this beautiful woman and she had this blonde, all this blonde kind of hair. Uh-huh. And she used to wear a lot of black. And, she, yeah, she was incredibly beautiful and she'd always wear bright Bright, bright red lipstick. I love that. And I'd walk in, and she was at least 10 years older than me, and I'd walk into Zambezi and just be in total awe of this woman. <laughs> like, just like the biggest celebrity in the whole wide world. Yeah. As far as I was concerned. Oh, I love that. She was incredible. And so she, I think she's kind of started, A, my love of lipstick, and B, my kind of love of individuality, because she was such a cool lady. I was definitely kind of the more out there kid at school. So New Zealand started to feel small. I mean, you dropped out at 15 from school and... Yeah, it was tough because none of, you know, I was the only one that did that. Yeah. My ma- I was, I, my mum, uh, amazingly, made us do cooking nights at home from mm-hmm. the age of five. So we used to, you know, it started with a stool mm-hmm. because I was too short to reach the <laughs> countertop and she'd make the pizza base and mm-hmm. then I'd put the pizza toppings on. You know, that would be, and then it progressed to full cooking. Right. So I became quite good at cooking too. So when I left school, my mum went, right, you can be a chef. Um, so I did. I went. And, oh, wow. Yeah, I went and cooked and did that probably until I left New Zealand. But it was really tough because all my mates were at university having a laugh. Right. And I was working until midnight every night, you know, in these. In That's these, a different kind yeah, of life. Yeah. And it's high stress. Yeah. It's a lot for a kind of 17 yeah. year old. And, and girl. Old. I yeah. think it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, a, I'm such sure a... I was me too'd about five. Exactly. 
especially by the male chefs of the yeah. 80s. Yeah, it's a weird world. Yeah. So, and so how did you get to England? What happened was I um, was I used to cycle everywhere and I was cycling to the beach, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> I used to drive this route every day and I, I knew when the lights were going to go green. I knew the cycle of the lights. Yeah. So I started cycling through the light when it was still red. This woman saw me, gave me a hard time. I told her to chill out in uh, probably more <laughs> flowering <laughs> yeah, words yeah, yeah, than yeah, that yeah. <laughs> colorful and she drove into me <laughs> and i did a somersault over the top of her car landed on my elbow which broke into a million bits oh my god yeah she drove off and so i couldn't cook anymore because my arm was completely fucked but in new zealand you can't sue so anyway, we couldn't find her anyway because it was a hit and run. But um, Oh, my God. So you can't sue, but what you can do is you claim money from the government. So if you've got a job which you can no right. longer do, then you claim money from the government. I think I got like 9,000 New Zealand dollars. Wow. Which is nothing. And my dad, who's English huh. and was still extraordinarily worried about me, said, go to London. Just go. Use that money and go to London. And so, you just did. And, and I went, oh, okay. I had friends there because yeah. all Kiwis go to London. Right. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> and um, so I, and I had a British passport because of my dad. And so I went and he said, stay for two years because you'll hate it at first. And he was right. <laughs> also, I went in November. So the weather was awful. <laughs> and there's no sea. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. I got mugged like the first week I was there. <laughs> And I stayed there for 25 years. <laughs> and what did you do? Like, how did you, did you start to work? I started to work actually through all my Kiwi mates, like the Kiwi network. Yeah. Firstly, I stayed with this incredible woman who's a film editor who was a New Zealander. Mm-hmm. She had a Kiwi living nanny mm-hmm. who was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And she very kindly agreed to me coming to stay in her house. <laughs> and then Maisha left. And so she said, oh, will you just be Molly's nanny? And I went, yeah, okay. But I was a shitty nanny. So um, after about six months of doing that, Kathy, Molly's mum, said, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure it's working out. Yeah, maybe you should get a job in the film industry or in the entertainment industry. Um, and she and some friends got me a job as a runner, which is like a gopher. Yeah. You know, a PA over sure. here, I guess. At a big post-production facility. And I kind of went and did that. And did you love it from the first minute on set? I did. It was so fun. Yeah. It was social. And all of a sudden, there were all these incredible people. Yeah. And I was watching these amazing films being made. And when you're outside the entertainment industry, you think it's this this industry that's impossible to get into and everyone's got a zillion degrees and are very clever and actually once you get into it you realize it's full of loads of waifs and strays (laughs) who've like me lost their way and get a job and go oh fuck I'm quite good at this actually yeah and then you know find whatever it is because if you think about the entertainment industry you can you can work within it with any skill yeah exactly whether it's Packing shelves, you know, emptying the grip truck to put the stuff back on the shelves, to cooking, to wardrobe, huh. to whatever. So, you know, I just found that so exciting. And so it connected immediately for you. And, and how quickly did you move into production? I was there for about six months. And the, the two bosses really liked me because I could make, I was the only one that could make Vegemite toast with a <laughs> 
taste nice. <laughs> I think that was my cooking. <laughs> I mean, Vegemite toast without butter is a challenge, I must say. <laughs> and then because you were serving clients, so producers would come in and I'd be making their tea and coffee and uh, in those days going and buying their wife's Christmas presents for them and getting illegal substances, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Um, and... Um, just got kind of spotted by one of the producers and he said, hey, you know, why don't you come work with us? So then I became a production assistant. And explain what a, what does a producer do? Like what is, basically make shit happen. Yeah, you make, that's, <laughs> there you go, nailed it. <laughs> you make shit happen. I mean, you're there, but basically I work alongside directors. Uh-huh. They have the vision. Uh-huh. And I'm I, I get it on screen. So hire the crew. And are you the liaison with the client also? Yeah. So you're the, you're the liaison with everybody. Yeah, you're the piggy in the middle. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and that and, and that connected with you immediately. That that was that was your skill set. Yeah. Weirdly, yeah. even though I'm kind of relatively or hugely uneducated, I'm very observant. And I think one of the most important skills for a producer is observation. Yeah. You have to know what's going on around you. Yeah. Even though you and I are talking, you have to know what's going on over there mm. because you need to be dealing with that in five minutes. Right. <laughs> and and also I'm a good judge of character. Yeah. So um, I kind of knew what people would or which people would work with us well and which wouldn't mm. and, you know, tried to surround my directors with amazing crews yeah, I just loved working with all these people. Hmm. I think also being from New Zealand, there's no class system in New Zealand. Yeah. It's a bit like America, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, that was a real skill because I can muck in with everyone on set. Right. Regardless of what, <laughs> you know, where, what stature they are. Yeah. Not that there should be statues, but... But you fit in with anybody. Yeah. I mean, you do. <laughs> yeah, well, I just love it. Yeah. Because everyone's got a story. And, yeah. You know, everyone's as important as the next person. Yeah. It's so, I just love that side of it. Huh. And the traveling. Yeah. I mean, I was a young, I was a young producer and I was going to Brazil, Argentina, <laughs> Miami, Los Angeles. Mm. I mean, New Zealand, Australia. I was traveling all over the world mm. and it was just Meeting all these incredible people. Yeah, talented. Lots of whom I'm still friends with now. Tell me about coming here. How did you get here to California? Yeah. So, um... <laughs> and does your husband work in... He works with you. Yeah. We're business partners. Yeah. <laughs> we so. have we have that in common. Do you work with your husband and he he's in the same... Yeah, so we were at Academy together. Right. So we had an illicit affair, <laughs> which was really fun, <laughs> for about a year. Um, because we were really nervous about our boss finding out. Yeah. And then when we, I, we were at Cannes, I was at Cannes with my boss and we were on the beach and I said, I have to tell you, Lizzie, I'm seeing someone at the office. <laughs> you have to guess who it is. And she guessed everyone. Except for? Except for Tim. <laughs> including, including our bookkeeper who was about 99 years old. <laughs> Even he came first. And then she said, darling. Couldn't you have gone out with the director of photography or something? Because <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't quite high enough up the food chain. I love it. We worked there together. Then he left and went to Atlantic Records mm. and became a commissioner, kind of creative director, stroke music video commissioner over there. Huh. And commissioned loads of music videos for kind of loads of amazing 
yeah. famous bands. He was really good at it. I stayed at Academy for a bit longer and then realised the industry was changing. Content was starting. Mm. You know, the internet had changed everything. <laughs> there was a recession. I didn't feel that the company was moving in the direction that I possibly would move in. So I left and decided to start my own production company. Kind of got had a few ideas, but none of them quite worked. And then... At the same time, Tim got offered a job at a production company. Hmm. Uh, Tim, my husband. Yeah. And, I, and I said, fuck that. We're going to be competition. That can't happen. Let's just do it together. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a dumb idea. I mean, no, it's an amazing idea. It's an amazing we idea. We work together beautifully, but it's a lot. Being it's married to yeah. a business partner. Tim, me, and then the director who I'd produced for for 10 years, hmm. Nick Gordon, and I started... Some such. We borrowed a, f- a desk in a friend's office. We funded it with my Amex. <laughs> the first job we got was, it was terrifying. The first job we got was a £700,000 Skoda commercial. Wow. And the way it works in production is you have to pay the first 50% <laughs> to the f- facilitator because we were shooting it in Prague, I think. So we had to well, come up with 350 I say, thank God Amex has no limit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then you have to pay the second 50. So luckily, the um, producer at the ad agency, (laughs) Nikki Barnes, who is now an EP at some such, or actually she's our MD at some such, so we've we've become very close, she managed to get me paid. And (laughs) that was the beginning of some such. And how did you have the confidence to do that on your own? I guess Tim helped. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think about things. (laughs) That's that's kind of part that that's where Tim and I are quite good partners. I'm yeah. spontaneous. <laughs> let's just get on with it and do it one. Yeah. And he's the let's think this through first. <laughs> so I don't you know, I think if I stop too long to think about things, mm. it doesn't happen. Same. So I just went, Let's do it, come on. <laughs> and we did it and yeah. And so you were in London and then how did you get to California? So, and how long was some such in London before you moved to California? Well, we're 10 and we've been here three years. So wow. I guess it was about six mm-hmm. um, because it started without us. So what happened was we had really amazing directors, very cool young talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, American companies were looking for very cool young talent. And the UK is really the place to find that cool young talent. They have the best commercials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of production companies from America were coming to us and going, will you partner with us? Mm-hmm. Can we have a kind of, you rep our directors in the UK, we rep yours mm-hmm. in the US kind of deal, which is a very common deal. Right. Really, no English production companies had succeeded in this market. Huh. So that's what everyone did. They just sent their directors out to America and watched them earn a shitload of money right. and not make any money themselves, right? having built their careers, uh-huh. which is just bizarre to me. Anyway, so we went to a big entertainment company called Anonymous Content, who are incredible. They did Mr. Robot and True Detective. Mm. And Steve Golan was such a charismatic and beautiful man. He um, said, come with us. So we chose Anonymous. And we were in there for a year and it just started to go really well. And we had a deal with them that we were going to move over at some point. So we moved over after a year and hired Nikki Barnes um, and she kind of ran the commercial side for us. And um, we 
kind of started managing our talent more and started looking at film and TV and getting way more into content. And then after a year, we were off and running. Mm. Somehow we made it work here. And any fear about coming to the States? I mean, were you nervous about... Terrified. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely terrified because it works in a very different way here. Yeah, I bet. So in the UK, the director is the queen or the king. Uh They are the boss. Whereas here, the agency Uh. are the boss. So we had to get you, our egos had to get used to that. Um, You know, what? (laughs) You're telling me what to do or you're going to edit the job? How weird. But we've we've built really amazing relationships with our clients and people come to us knowing what they're going to get. Right. We're not your atypical (laughs) commercials production company. We're very much, and we push it. I mean, we drive people absolutely crazy. (laughs) American producers are used to having all the I's dotted a week before we go uh-huh. to shoot. Whereas we are like, no, we're not happy with the casting. Let's keep casting until the day before. Uh-huh. And everyone's going, <laughs> you guys are fucking useless. You're so disorganized. How dare you, you know. But nine times out of ten, we get a way better cast member, yeah. actor, and it was completely the right decision. Huh. And, you know, retrospectively, everyone's like, oh, that person was amazing. (laughs) Or the same with locations. But it does drive our clients a bit crazy because we're not going to, we don't want to make anything middle of the road. It doesn't matter whether it's an an ad for Ford or a music video for, I don't know. A A TikTok person. We've just done four uh, music videos for the weekend. Oh, cool. Um, so it's really, you know, for that or a content piece or we're developing TV shows, you know, it's like we push it and we make sure that it's as good as it can possibly be. It is. Yeah. Well, I, I watched a lot of things um, in preparation for you coming and oh, did a whole a whole sleeve of commercials. And I cried so hard. Oh. <laughs> Your commercials are so, well, I mean, everything you do is so heart-wrenching, really, or something. I, I, I bawled. I think what we try to do, and again, this is where we separate ourselves from other production companies and sadly will never be as rich, (laughs) is that we um, try to have a social conscience. Yeah. So, you know, now, especially with climate crisis and there's certain things that we absolutely will not do. Yeah. Even if that is a 15 million dollar budget, we just cannot do it. Mm. And we also try and choose stuff that make us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. So if it's, you know, the vaginas one. That was a great one. Which was which was a good one. Then that makes you feel slightly better about doing the car one. Because <laughs> you're, you're balancing yeah. it out, you know. Yeah. And also it's really nice to do stuff that's educating people. It, that I found that in all of the pieces I watched, actually, that I felt more educated. <laughs> Talk to me about the Nike commercial with Serena. I mean, that was the one that really hit me. I mean, I was crying. Yeah. Was um, the marathon runner. Yeah. Do you, will you talk about that a little bit? Well, actually, that's all footage. Yeah. So we Nike gave us all the footage. And then our director, Kim Gehrig, who did that one, and she also did... She's amazing. She did the vagina one. She did the Gillette one. She's just... The Gillette one was yeah, great. Yeah, she's such a talented director. <laughs> and she basically got given all of this footage and had to go through all of the footage and pick out... With the agency, the the footage that you know was more the most moving and really 
push the point across that women are treated so differently to men. I don't know if it was the first the first person to run in the in a woman to run in a marathon was in was a Boston marathon. I'm not yeah, sure if that and it was, was that. Illegal. And they were p- pulling her off, yeah. trying to take her off of the street. Yeah. It was I mean I, hor- I, it, it was horrifying. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. That it was illegal for women to run a marathon. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And how we've changed. I mean, for, going through that footage too was a real oh, can't education for all of us. Yeah. You know, realizing the 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 you know how we've all fought yeah over the years well i think the thing that was so striking was that it wasn't that long ago no <laughs> it really wasn't that long ago i loved also blood stories as it yeah called? i loved that one too with yeah. a, i have a 15 year old daughter and it really meant a lot to me did it yeah yeah it's funny lots of my friends have shown both of those mm. full of breasts both of those to their kids i think they're really what well, i think blood stories is really good because it de-demonizes is that an yeah. actual word blood yeah because we all bleed yeah and so why is it that from a certain part of your body it becomes disgusting because yeah. it's the same stuff yeah i have no idea why right and it's really hard for women mm-hmm. you know still i go oh gross to this very day <laughs> yeah so i mean i think it's quite important for young people to see that and understand that Life's changing. So are you working with the director? I mean, are you coming up with a concept with about that together with the client, with the director, with you? I mean, are there, thing, there are things you're thinking about also? Yeah. So generally what happens is the ad agency will bring a script to us with a director in mind. We have to pitch on it. Hopefully we win yeah. the job, which we did in both of those cases. And then we all sit around and go, okay, so the, the, these are the bare bones of the idea. What can we bring it? So the director will bring mm-hmm. a lot of things to the core idea. And a really good director will get a good script and make it even better. Mm. A kind of complacent director will get a script and just, <laughs> just shoot it. Right. Which, you know, there's no there's no shame in, in either. <laughs> One of the things that we share, I think, in running our companies is trying to do it differently with women. Yeah. And I also think that we are very focused on getting women back to work after maternity leave. Yeah. Did you realize how hard that was going to be in, until you did it yourself? Because I don't know that I did until I experienced no, it. No, I don't think I did. I mean, it was funny, you know, at, at past companies I'd worked at, whenever a woman got pregnant, it was a pain in the ass. You yeah. Know, it, it, when it, you had your daughter, you were at some such already? Uh, yes. Okay. God, I have to think about that. <laughs> I, I had to do the math. Half, so yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, it was seen as being, oh God, so and so is going on maternity leave. Right. Um, but when I went on maternity leave, I realized how important it was yeah. to being on maternity leave to be able to take. I took five months off, which over mm-hmm. here is a really long time. Right. In the UK, people take six months to a year yeah. off, and so going through that, I realized fuck, this is difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's difficult as a boss anyway because yeah. you're home alone mm-hmm. with this little thing. Yeah. Used to being a control yeah, I was going to say, you're really bad at it. how to do absolutely everything. Yeah. You're like, shit, what am I supposed to do with this? 
Yeah. God, you know, and then you're lonely. I couldn't then, wait to get back to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, no, you don't see anyone mm. because you're on their sleep schedule. <laughs> so that's really. I mean, I had a dark few dark few months to begin with. Yeah. And then you kind of get into the stride. And as the babies get better, it's time to go, you know, as they <laughs> yeah. get more engaging. Yeah, more fun. It's time to go back to work. But so that at that point, I decided that we had to have a really strong maternity leave mm. rule. So I basically give everyone a year off mm. and they can take all of it. Some or of it. Or some of it. It's completely up to them. They're paid in full for six months. And then it, the scale heads downwards. But they get... But, that they're paid the whole time. Yeah. For the whole year. Yeah. And then that's they- extraordinary. One of the things I always found most challenging and still do is that women would finally get to the point where they actually had talked their family into husband into letting them letting them go back to work or yeah. you know agreeing to that. But then the husband would say if you go back to work you're going to have to pay for childcare out of your salary. Yeah, and it wasn't like a I would and I, and they would say you know these girls would say I have to pay the nanny thirty five thousand yeah, dollars yeah, yeah. a year. I, it really doesn't make sense financially for me to do it. And yeah, you're just giving the money away. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I think for me, a bigger thing in that was like, why are you not pulling it with your husband? Why is this choice not about your with your husband as a family? This is what I want to do. This is our salary collectively together. We will pay the nanny together. It was always like. I'm going to punish you if you go back to work yeah. by making you pay out of your salary. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of women don't work here. Yeah. I've noticed that more in America. Hmm. Like when I'm doing the, the uh, dropping my daughter, doing carpool. Yeah. There's a lot of mums. Oh, they're all ex-lawyers. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Incredibly educated. Yeah. Incredible women that don't work. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, great. That that isn't a criticism. I think women that choose to stay at home and bring up their children—it's fucking incredible. Yes, they're they're bigger people than I am because I couldn't do it. Same, but I'm sure that's part of the reason why because they're made to feel like it's not worth it. Yeah, it's my it's my real mission to to help women find meaningful work and have a family if they want that and have all of the things they want. Yeah, and it's and. Where I live, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know where. Maybe where we all live, it doesn't seem supportive of that. Yeah, that's well, you're amazing for doing that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's it's. Well, still, you're doing that. I mean, I but the other thing that I mean, financial to one side, but the other thing that men expect is the women to do everything. So right. yes, but I've got the same job as my husband. Yeah, but I take care of all of the school stuff. Yeah. Do all the volunteering, mm-hmm. make lunch in the morning, organize the nanny. And, yep. and my husband is virtually a feminist. I mean, he's one of the good guys. Yeah. We've never not split everything 50-50. Right. It's always been a very equal. But for some reason, men are just wired. Yeah. Just go, oh, okay, the kid's your problem. Uh, um, well, I don't know if it's they're wired. I think actually we're wired too. Yeah. You know, kind of like your producing thing that you you know what you're going to have to deal with in five minutes. It's You're always anticipating that next thing that you're... Such a good point. <laughs> and also mother guilt. Yeah. I mean, from the day, yeah. I don't know about you, but oh, from gosh. the day I gave birth to Missy, I started feeling guilty. Yeah. And I haven't stopped. I haven't either. Well, I mean, people, I think also people would say to me, you know, and I, my business was maybe 10 years old, about 10 years in when she was born, and people would say, oh, you're going to close the store? And you're like, what? <laughs> Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What is that? I don't understand. 
Well, I think that's a, that's a real problem too because that kind of that is a perfect example of what happens to women. Yeah. In their career, they go, they take time off to have their baby, yeah, and their career is stalled, and all the men have kept on going up the food chain. Yep. And then it's really hard for them to get back in. Yeah. And they kind of have to take these lesser roles. Yeah. And it's just. It, 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 it's, I mean, I think, and we only have one child. I think that yeah. that's you know, and and that was by design for me. You know, that yeah. I thought I don't know that I, I don't know that I could stay in it. You know, it's just too many, too many variables that keep, take me. I guess take the focus off of all the things I want to be doing. Yeah, guess, exactly. Or, or need to be doing. I think to be a good parent too, you have to um, work out what's important for you. Yeah. And make sure that you're doing that so that you're not resentful. Yeah. I think I'm a better parent because I've just got one child. I, I Yeah. And I mean, for us, it was, we tried to have zillions of children, but, but we had a lot of um, uh, tragedies along the way. Huh. So, um, but we got, you know, we ended up with Missy, the miracle. <laughs> and it's just, it's just been the perfect thing for us. Yeah. Because you can travel, you can spend quality time with that child mm-hmm. you're not having to split yourself in half yep i agree i mean i think for me too that the, there was so much travel with my job and i couldn't imagine the pain of doing that a second time and how it's awful no. i mean it's just and i you know i still i'll see babies i'll see little people and start crying traveling you know just to think of her and I, it's, it's hard yeah, there's nothing like crying on an airplane. Oh my god! <laughs> what is it with airplanes? And like the, the worst movies. On. I know. Just, You're like watching hustlers crying. Uh, yeah, their faces red, swollen. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> Will you share advice for a young person who's as was it as as much of a rebel as you were? Yeah, it's good. That, that's that's a lovely thing um, to say. Thank you, because I think. Presently, people want me to go into schools and talk to the kids mm. about how they should stay in education to become, you know, a producer or whatever. But I can't do that. Right. <laughs> I am the worst example. And so, like, the, the Missy's school wanted me to go in. And I kind of haven't quite got around to saying to them yet. I've just been avoiding it. But to saying to them yet, well, I can't really come and talk to the kids because basically I'm saying, leave school at 15. You'll be successful. Um, But what I would say to kids is everyone is as valuable as the next person and everyone has skills. And if you've got a gut feeling about what you're going to be good at, you're probably going to be really good at it. Mm -hmm. And just follow follow your passion even if your parents or your teachers or whatever say that's a pipe dream don't be silly what what are you thinking it's really important that you try and pursue it Mm -hmm. and I think that just starting small there's no rush I think the problem with young people these days they want it all (laughs) they want to be everything and and there's a lot of people that want to be everything immediately and for me if a kid comes into my office and shows humility and is hardworking and open and proactive, then they're the one that's going to rise to the top yeah. every time. And, you know, we have these internships at Sunsuch for kids that come out of less privileged areas, from tougher schools. 
and we're really trying to nurture them and make them understand that there is an opportunity for everyone in the production industry. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you left school at 15 or whether you've got an Oxbridge degree. Mm -hmm. There is an opportunity for you within that community. So just try really hard to get an internship or you know go and see some of these really incredible movements that that look after kids and get them into production companies and music companies and everything else because trust me you can work in the industry if you want to you're living proof yeah i am <laughs> i am living proof any projects you're excited about coming up yeah i guess i'm having a bit of a midlife crisis at the moment <laughs> that means i'm going to live to 100 yes I'm <laughs> Um, so the, the the thing with being a producer is you spend your whole time realizing other people's creative yeah. um, vision. And even though you have creative input, it's never your own. Mm-hmm. You never own it. So I have recently been really wanting to get into designing stuff. I mean, already I designed our office in um, London. Mm-hmm which I think we did a really good job, my office here, and lots of houses. So, And I'm addicted to furniture. So I go to Palm Springs all the time, buy a shitload of furniture. <laughs> all the dudes in the, in the vintage stores. See you century. coming. Yeah, they love me. <laughs> I keep on getting given candles. <laughs> so I know I'm doing good. And I'm just collecting stuff. And I'm actually going to start consulting I've already consulted a few people Mm -hmm. and in design and also maybe do some staging. Wow. Which is kind of the the great thing about having your own company is that you can go off piste from time to time. Yeah. And I've been doing it for such a long time now that I go, fuck it. I deserve this. Yeah. This is, this is my time. Yeah. So I'm going to start trying to get into design. We've just bought a building on West Washington for our production company. So I'm going to, with an architect. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely with an architect. But man, I can hardly add two and two, let alone do. I was going to see if we would see you go back to school for architecture. No, uh, no. no. <laughs> Not that uh, off piece. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, maybe. You never know. You never know. But yeah, with an architect, we're going to do that. Nice. So that's kind of my next my next projects. We'll see whether they succeed or not. I know they'll succeed. You're involved. Oh. <laughs> At the end of every podcast, we ask what our guests wore to the prom. And I don't know if you had a prom. <laughs> do they have proms in New Zealand? Yeah, they have a prom. <laughs> But you dropped out at 15, did you go? Yeah, well, there was a school <laughs> social, we called it, a school social that I went to. And I've got a photo of me. I can't remember what label it was because this is about 500 years ago. Was it Zambezi? It probably was Zambezi, <laughs> but it was like a strapless black, probably quite cool now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like this was the 80s, so it's kind of ruched across my chest and went down and then flared out a little bit. And then I had these like black and red jewels around my neck cool that i think i borrowed from my mum. nice um, not your cousin and my hair would have been totally dodgy because <laughs> i had a i had bangs i had curly bangs and they're always like doing their own thing did you have the red lipstick i i think i had ridiculous eyeshadow 
<laughs> you went for the eyes. Yeah, my mum still got the photo. I, I, <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much for being here. Loved having you. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. <laughs> What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.